Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So good to be back with you. I got to go to Ohio to visit family that I haven't seen in 22 years. Um, And uh, it was quite an extraordinary trip. I went with my two brothers and my dad. My dad's from Ohio and uh, he's from very small town called McConnellsville. Anyone heard of McConnellsville? Yeah, okay, yeah. So it's 15,000 people in the entire county. Um, but anyway, so I'm here. That's where I was last Sunday, but I'm here today, and I'm so excited to launch a new series. We finished Emotionally Healthy series. You guys enjoy that series? I thought it was super helpful to recognize that actually growing in emotional health is how, one of the ways that we follow Jesus because Jesus was emotionally healthy and that you can't be spiritually mature without emotional health. Um, but today we begin a new series called The Empowering Presence. Um, and here's a slide for you. I'm, I, I've been prepping this series in my heart for nine years. Um, but really, we've never done a series on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and discuss the theology, the ministry, and the practice of the Holy Spirit. Um, 
And we're doing this in, in alignment with a, one of our friends, Reality San Francisco. So their church in, in the heart of San Francisco that is doing the same series. They're going to follow us a week behind um, because they are wanting to grow in things of the Holy Spirit. We're seeing right now across the United States, across the world, churches that were maybe a little more cautious to things of the Spirit are more open and longing to see the Holy Spirit um, ex- uh, evident in their communities, not just on an individual basis, but as a community. Isn't that exciting? And so over the next uh, 10 weeks or so, we're going to just look at various topics around the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I want to talk about that today. I'm going to just introduce this topic. If there was a title for this sermon today, I, it would be something like Church on Fire. So that's what I want to talk about today, is just introduce this subject, because some of us carry um, fear or hesitation around the things of the Spirit, and I get that that's where I came came from. Uh, Others of us are very excited, and we're hopeful to see God move in power in new ways. Um, And, and, you know, I I was thinking, what are the, as I pray about the things that we can talk about as a church, there are actually a lot of things I want to talk about. There are some hot issues today that I feel like I want to speak to culturally. But when I look at the climate of both the culture and church life, I have some real concerns. Um, Something within me knows that there is more that is available to us as the garden and as a church in the United States. There's something within me that feels that we have settled that we as a culture and as a church have, have, uh, have settled for things. We don't expect much from God. We don't expect much from our church life. And we don't expect much change in our life and in our city or in our culture. And so I want to, uh, if there's anything I can do, I want to provoke hunger. I want you to be hungry. I want to see over the next 10 weeks hunger. And so today I'm going to talk about a, a passage of Scripture and then share some observations, and then share some hopes that I, I have for the next 10 weeks of what might be the outcome of this venture together. You guys with me? All right, so let's pray, because um, I need more than eight. Jesus, we want you uh, to pour out your spirit on us. We want, want you to pour out your spirit anew on this generation and all generations alive, that as a church, we would be awakened to what's possible and new possibilities. So Holy Spirit, through your text, through your scripture, um, through your outpouring of presence, would you just fill us this morning? And we say, come Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, so if you have a Bible, go to Exodus 33. I just wanna share this great moment in scripture that was a defining moment for Moses and his leadership for the people of God. So Exodus 33, verse one. Um, I love the model Moses gives us in the scriptures because Moses is not some archetype of excellence. All throughout Moses' Moses's life, he's somebody that struggled, that is insecure. He has doubts and fears. He has, he has a sense of fragility along the way, but time and time again, God still uses him despite his fragility, despite his insecurity, despite his doubts and fears. But there was this defining moment that left him changed, unlike any other moment in his lifetime, that he went from doubting um, or even wanting to escape to uh, utterly transform, to lead people into the presence of God. And it comes at a moment of crisis, but it also comes at a, a unique moment in the story of Israel. See, Israel was freed from their oppression as slaves in Egypt. 
And in Egypt, um, God sends plagues and demonstrates his miraculous powers and liberates uh, the people of God from Pharaoh. And they witness the liberating power of Yahweh. And uh, they're called into this new identity of priests, kingdom of priests, a holy nation. They were chosen by God to represent God to the rest of the nations. And God brings them to this mountain, Mount Sinai, where God, his presence descends on this mountain with fire and smoke. And there's an earthquake, there's lightning. It's absolutely signs and wonders and, and they're terrified by it. And Moses ascends to speak face to face with God. You'll see that over and over again that Moses is a leader who speaks face to face with God. And as Moses is getting the Torah, the law, the Ten Commandments in most of the Old Testament from God himself, there's this crisis moment for the people of God because they were in Egypt and all they knew how to do is worship the idols which were made by human hands. And so while Moses is away, they begin to craft a golden calf. You know the story, made out of gold. And Moses is up there with God and God in Exodus 22 begins to speak to, to Moses and he, uh, in, verse, uh, in chapter 32, excuse me, we'll stay in 33. I'll just read this real quick. Um, uh, what, what happens is, is God says, hey, they're sinning down there, essentially, and I'm gonna wipe them out and stall, start all over with you, Moses. This is what God says. And Moses, in verse 32, says, but now please forgive their, he begins to petition on behalf of the people of God. Forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses stands before God on behalf of a sinful people and says, forgive them. If you won't, blot me out. Take me instead. Isn't that amazing? And then it goes on in verse uh, one of chapter 33. Let's just read this story. So this is the account. That's what's going on. It's this crisis moment. And listen to what happens in this dialogue, this defining moment. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. You and the people you brought out up out of Egypt. And go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. This is God speaking. Because you are a stiff-necked or stubborn people and I might destroy you on the way. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's hilarious. So here's this moment. He's like, go. Go to the promised land that I promised your, descend your, your ancestors. The promised land was a big deal for the people of God. For generations, they heard about this thing God was going to give them, this place of rest, this abundant place. Go to Deuteronomy real quick. Um, I know you have your Bible, so scroll to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse six, I just want to show you the importance of the promised land. So the promised land was everything for the people of God. This was, you see, in that time, land was everything. That defined a people group more than anything else. It was the place where you would, you would make money, your resource, your livelihood. You would settle down. If you didn't have land, you were usually slaves or foreigners, immigrants. And land was so important in that time period as it is now. Verse six, this is a command. Observe 
of chapter 8, the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. This is the promised land. Listen to this. A land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat, barley, vines, and fig trees, pomegranates, and olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. The promised land. That's where he's sending them. But he says, I'm I'm finally going to give it to you, but I'm not going to go. This is what God's saying. Because I might destroy you. And the story goes on. The people are afraid. Moses goes into the tent of meeting where the presence of God would dwell. In verse 11, it says this of chapter 33, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. I love this little line. But his, his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. He stayed in the presence of God. It's a marker of Joshua's leadership, which we don't have time to get into. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you have been, so remember, he's been meeting face to face. Check this out. I love this. You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. This is like, what do you call this? Like chutzpah in, in Hebrew. This is like, this is, this is like, this is, this is some powerful boldness that Moses is meeting with God face to face. You, I have found favor. He meets face to face. And look at what it goes. It says this, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. The promised land the land of rest. He's saying, it's not worth it without you. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me, with your people, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from your people? What will distinguish me and your people from all the people, other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said uh, to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And let's stop right there and then we see this moment where God reveals his glory. And this is that defining moment for Moses, the moment that changes him. Before we talk about what happens to him and where I wanna go with this series, uh, let me just make a couple of observations about this text that I think is so important for us. First of all, number one, God's presence is everything. God's presence is, is everything. It was never about the promised land. It was always about the presence of God. Because as it goes further into the story of Israel, we recognize that the land is dispersed and the temple is destroyed, but the presence of God goes everywhere with the people who confess that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead and filled with his holy presence, his spirit. It was never about the promise. And think about that in our life. Think about that for church 
in your life. It's always been about the presence of God with you on the journey. It's not what God can do. It's not about his gifts. It's not just about his fruit or the outcomes. It's God himself as the gift in your life. Luke 11, it says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And it's in reference to those fathers who know how to give good gifts to their children. The best gift, the greatest gift is the presence of God with you for the journey. It's the presence of God is everything. Second point I want to make about this text. We can be face to face with God and still ask for more. I love it. You could be known as someone who is face-to-face with God in friendship, but still boldly ask for more of his presence. And this is so, I, this is just radical for me because what happens in the story is Moses asks for his glory, which is this Hebrew word for weight and heaviness, this weight, weight this, um, this uh, a presence, another word for the presence of God, glorious presence. And what God does is he says, I'm going to give you what you asked for. He asks for more and God gives him more of himself. So often we're asking for more stuff. More out, more, we just pursue everything else but God himself. And that's the secret. Right there to, to the leadership of Moses. He's in this crisis where he literally is like, blot me out. I can't do it. If you, I don't want to start over. Just take me out. If you're going to send us to the promised land, I don't want to go. I want to be with you because that doesn't matter as much as your presence. But he has the bold awareness to say, I want more of you. And I just think about most of our experiences with God. We talk about him in the glory days. We talk about that time, that thing happened a long time ago. And, that's, and there was a transformational moment that moved us into our future. But then we, have, we get married and have kids and we have to pay the mortgage and we're satiated by all this stuff and we're no longer dependent on the presence of God for life, that we find meaning in all the other things. Rather than, go, God, would you just give me something new? I don't want to talk about you like yesterday. I don't want to talk about you what happened 10 years ago. I want more of you. I want to see your glory, God. I want to be pushed into the rock and allowed just to see the backside of your goodness. Boldness. And see, what you see is that when you get face to face, you can, in the presence of God, expect him to show up in greater ways. Have you been trained in that? Have you settled? Verse, uh, the third point is the personal encounter with God's presence gave Moses the ability to mediate the very nature and presence of God to other people. It was a personal encounter in this moment that Moses, something divine happens in his life that transforms him as a leader. And now for the rest of his life, because of this moment of witnessing God's presence in a greater demonstration that enables him to mediate the presence of God and his nature to other people. How powerful is, is this moment for his leadership? It's, it's everything, but how powerful would it be if the church would actually follow this model? Follow this moment of, of personal renewal. You see, personal revival always precedes corporate revival. 
We don't know exactly what happened in this moment. We have these glimpses. And I feel like it's like an intimate expression. Like, it's like what happens between a husband and wife. You can't always speak to that intimacy. It's like you read the rest of the story and there's this, this sacredness to what goes on between Yahweh and Moses. But he comes back a changed person by the presence of God. So as a church, we are to pursue God and his presence. But it seems like throughout history, we as a people find it easy to pursue almost everything else. Would you agree? Like we pursue our careers, our dreams, our relationships, our hobbies, our money, our vacation, our travel, our retirement. And as the church, we find it easier to pursue and build programs, events, models, famous pastors and teachers and worship leaders and methods rather than God himself. At least this is what I see. And when I look at the complexities and the problems that we are facing in our culture, I don't think it's programs, models, events, gatherings, or books that it's going to fix it. You see, what I see in this moment, in our cultural moment, is deep despair and severe brokenness. Just to share some thoughts that I wrote down this week about what I'm witnessing in a couple of weeks' time. Um, Morality continues to decay, uh, and little can be expected of leadership of our country. Morality continues to decay and little can be expected of leadership in this country. I mean, from politicians to producers, from pastors to priests. We see scandal after scandal, sexual abuse, financial dishonesty and greed, manipulation, cover-up, and power-driven hypocrisy. And I'm just talking about the church. Anxiety is at an all-time high in human history since we've been keeping record. Depression is at an all-time high. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among individuals between the age of 10 to 34. Doubles the homicide rate in the last several years. We have an opioid epidemic in the United States dropping the life expectancy for U.S. citizens. Our nation is divided by politics, as you know. We continue to demonize the other side. We have lost the ability to listen and learn and to engage in respectful discourse. Every human issue is now a politically loaded agenda. Like, for example, 70 million forcibly displaced people around the world and 26 million refugees. And we talk about immigration in this country and we are outraged and filled with anger rather than compassion and love. There are 30 million slaves worldwide, more than any other time in human history. In the United States, one out of four children live without a father in the home. And there are so many statistics about the fatherlessness in this generation. It's the biggest problem. 70% of those in prison didn't have a father in home. 90% of all runaways, and the list goes on, didn't have a father in home. In our culture, we are required to do large things famously as fast as possible. In our culture, we are required to do large things famously as fast as possible. But Jesus is the exact opposite of that. The American church is obsessed with doing it culture's way. We're obsessed with fame and celebrities. We replicate churches off of business models and strategy rather than scripture and the spirit. And more people than ever before are associated in this country to the non-religious affiliation or the lack of spiritual belief than any time in our history as a nation. The world offers us a solution to all of these problems. 
a therapeutic consumerism, a medication for every and all pain. Prime now that new pair of shoes. Buy a $5 honey lavender hemp milk latte. Eat a $15 avocado toast. Take a three-day weekend to binge watch your favorite Netflix show. Chase all your problems of the world away. And don't forget to post a selfie. Hashtag so blessed. I like that one too. As a church, we think the solution in the United States to these problems are more gatherings, more programs, more self-help books, and plant more churches that focus on getting people into a building with stage lights and fog machines. This is the modern form of church planning in the United States. The strategy is this, unfortunately. There is so many statistics around this, but the current strategy for the American church planning movements across the United States is to raise over $200,000, launch a gathering service where you get 200 people at it with stage lights, fog machines, clever Instagram posts, and a new website. But the problem with this model is it's just transferring Christians that already exist from other churches into that gathering. We're not reaching the lost. Alpha is a way to reach non-Christians, but we're not investing in those things, and we're not equipping the church to be church. You are the solution to the world's problems with the presence of God inside of you. The world deserves better than that strategy. What does this have anything to do with the Holy Spirit or God's empowering presence? Everything. The world needs to be set on fire for God. Our nation needs to be set on fire for God. And a church cannot light a fire if she is not herself on fire. Want me to say that again? A church cannot light a fire if she is not herself on fire. We need revival. We need awakening in this country. We need more of God, and we as a church need to expect more from God. Karl Barth said this, that we must expect more from God and act to receive this. We ought to apply ourselves with all our strength to expect more from God. Are the springs which might be flowing really flowing so abundantly? Unless we are filled by the living waters of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised would flow out, not in, in John 7. We will never be the blessing God intended us to be. We will never water and transform the dead and barren deserts around us into life as we see the river that flowed from the temple turning the salty seawater fresh in Ezekiel 47. Paul was obsessed with the presence of God, the Apostle Paul. He prayed that everyone would be filled with the fullness of God in Ephesians. In Colossians, he prayed that we may be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know and serve God better, bearing fruit and being empowered by the might of his glory. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 23, Paul says that we, his body, us gathered, the church, are filled, past tense, have been filled with the fullness of Christ. But he also prays that we may be filled with the fullness of God in Ephesians 3 and then encourages us to be filled or to be continually filled with the Spirit of God in Ephesians chapter 5. How are we doing? My thoughts exactly. When the Bible speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is saying that one is consumed, taken over, impregnated, saturated, complete, and replete with God's presence and power. To be filled with the Holy Spirit leaves no room to be filled with anything else. 
It's from Simon Ponsonby's More. The presence of God is essential for the people of God. The Spirit of God is the oxygen of the church, but we just hold our breath. Just want a little bit of oxygen. Not a lot. Keep it orderly. (laughs) Being filled with the Spirit of God is essential for life in the kingdom, but we pursue life of the world. We settle. Being filled with the fullness of God is what it means to receive the Spirit, but we would rather be filled with the the fullness of mammon and wealth than with God himself. Being filled with the fullness of God is what it means to receive the Spirit, but we would rather be filled with the fullness of mammon and wealth than God himself. The greatest thing we can give this world is our transformed life. The greatest thing you can give this world, your family, your neighborhood, is to transform life because transformation is contagious. I want to become like you. Your marriage is really compelling. Your parenting is really compelling. The way you handle finances, the way you don't seem stressed out by the chaos around the world is very appealing to me. Tell me about this. One day I hope that the city of Long Beach recognizes that there was this alternative community that was birthed here where people begin to share resources, where people begin to live in such intimacy and and compassion that the things that were broken in the city are repaired. And as they begin to trace this 100 years from now, they can trace it to this little tiny church called the Garden that began to live so ridiculously compelling lives that the city took note and worshiped Jesus. You talk about Vision Sunday, our vision is the presence of God in your life and in the city. We are born again by the Spirit of God. We are transformed into new creation by the Spirit of God, adopted as sons and daughters of God by the Spirit of God. The love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Spirit of God. How many of us want to be filled by the Holy Spirit? How many of us want this? Anyone want to say yes and amen? Yes and amen. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We're going to talk about this over the next several weeks. Can I just give you a quick taster? Are you ready for this? It's 1020. Are we here? Do you hear what I'm saying? This is life-giving to me right now. I don't know what you're doing. Do you want to watch your, your, are you checking out on your um, fantasy football league? I'm not. I don't, I'm not playing this year. Next time, will someone just invite me? I just, just want to be invited. Just want to be included. It's lonely up here sometimes. Just kidding. It's not. It's fine. It's cool. I know you don't want me. It's fine. Um, What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Being filled, check this out, with the Holy Spirit elicits creative gifts, leadership gifts, wisdom, prophetic utterances, revelation of God's purposes, praise, boldness, and authority in speech, faith, power to perform signs and wonders, grace, personal healing, authority, attractive drawing people to Christ. Conquering confrontation with the powers of darkness and joy. The coming of the Spirit may be associated with external, observable, tangible phenomena like the sounds of a mighty wind and the shaking of rooms. Filling with the Spirit is repeatable, occurring at least three times for Peter, at least twice with Paul, and at least twice for the Pentecost Christians in Acts chapter 2 and 4. A person full of the Spirit is clearly distinguishable from one who is not thus enabling the selection of deacons known to be filled with the Spirit, according to Acts chapter 6. The Spirit life does not preclude one from suffering. On the contrary, it may invite persecution, yet it also produces grace to forgive one's persecutors. Being filled with the Spirit may lead to notable public ministry, as it did with Paul or Stephen, but equally it may not. 
as with the majority at Pentecost. Being filled with the Holy Spirit comes at times of intercession, affliction, or separation from ministry. And in the New Testament, being filled with the Holy Spirit is always associated with a greater revelation from, praise to, proclamation of, and a life lived for Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon has this, do you know who Charles Spurgeon was? Led a revival. He, he wrote this in a sermon on John chapter seven. And this is a quote from his sermon as it was going live. Ask God to make you all that the Spirit of God can make you, not only a satisfied believer who has drunk for himself, but a useful believer who overflows the neighborhood with blessing. And then turning to some guests or visitors in the church that were at other churches, he said, what a blessing it would be if they went back to their respective churches overflowing. For there are a number of churches that will need flooding. They are dry as a barn floor, and little dew ever falls on them. Oh, that they might be flooded. What a wonderful thing a flood is. Oh, for a flood of grace. The Lord send to all churches a great spring tide. So, it, so may it be. May all who hear me this day get your share of your streams. Oh, that the Lord may now fill you and send you home bearing a flood of grace. The church on fire with the presence of God has two things in common, holiness and revival. They become a church that's marked by the presence and character of God, but it turns outward towards the city and it sees the power of God demonstrated in its community. In the Welsh revival in 1904, this is taken from um, the pursuit of holiness. Listen to this. I was so fascinated by this. I'm just trying to get your imagination caught up into what's possible. In 1904, the Great Welsh Revival was marked by a passion for purity. Holiness was, in, was the consistent theme as 100,000 new converts rejected their sinful life and confessed Christ and joined the church. But this change in their lives had a profound impact on culture. It was reported that pit ponies, ponies that were used for mining, could no longer work because they didn't recognize the commands of the converted miners who no longer swore, cursed, or beat the ponies. <laughs> the standard of living went up <clears throat> and health and literacy improved as money previously wasted on alcohol was invested in the home, clothing, food, and books. Pubs closed as abstaining from alcohol became the new norm. Magistrates or lawyers were left with fewer cases to try as, a crime, as crime diminished. Old debts were all paid. The streets were peaceful. Swearing was seldom heard. Cardiff jail had a time with no inmates. And on New Year's Eve week, there, were no, not one, there was not one arrest for drunkenness. The police were employed to do nothing. One account, this is separate, uh, of the Welsh Revival detailed the work of one minister called Principal Edwards who seemed to revel in rescue work. It is the joy, it was the joy of his life. All sorts of conditions of men and women, drunkards, gamblers, debauchers, prostitutes, prodigals, were coming night after night and they found salvation. Over 600 people were converted by this one man who saved them from the lowest, lowest depths of sin what would a town, this is a quote from a book, what would your town or city look like if the most notorious 600 sinners were saved and sanctified? Imagine what that would look like. Nothing but revival. This is where we wanna go. This is my hope. That we would see over the next several months 
a fire started in our church. A fire or a hunger for more of God. Not more programs, not more practices, but more of God himself in our life. My hopes over the next 10 weeks, I have a couple of points. Number one, that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That you would keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit and ask for more of God in your life. That your life would be utterly undone by the power and presence of God in your life and you would hunger for more of God through his presence. That you would be filled, that you would be expanded and your faith would increase and the presence of God would increase all over your life. Number two, I want you as a church, us as a church, that we would confess our dependence upon God call out to him, cry out for him, and ask for more of his presence because we need to repent from self-reliance and dependence on everything else but the Lord. We want to depend on the Lord. I want to create a church that is dependent on the presence of God. I want to create expectation in our gatherings that we just, we're going to show up and wait on the Holy Spirit because we know that that's what this is about. There can be great teachers of the day, but a church that's filled with the presence is unmistakable. I think we rely so much on our own strengths, our own talents, our own insight, our own wisdom. It's time to go to God for that. Are you with me? Number three, I think that God, what I hope to see is that we would confess our sin and pursue personal holiness. Holiness and revival go hand in hand. You can't make revival happen, but we can pray and organize our lives around the things of God because he is called the Holy Spirit. Set apart our life for this time, this moment, to see God move in a more powerful way. Confess your sins. Every week, every house church, keep a short list of sins that you're making. Right now, it's super long for me. And every time I get a chance to confess, it's really long because it's not a frequent thing that's happening. We need to make it more and more frequent. Yes, you are forgiven. We can't live in the shame or the guilt of sin, but it's time as a church to take sin seriously, to repent and change our minds, to change directions and pursue a life that's marked by God's holiness all over us. That, I believe, will be more remarkable than any spiritual discipline that you can practice. It might take spiritual disciplines to get there, but your life being put on display for the world to see that it is possible to live without a pornography addiction as a man or to continue to struggle with lust. That's possible. It is possible for marriages to have restoration and healing where you mutually love and submit and serve without constant conflict and bickering. It is possible to live in community without harboring unforgiveness. It is possible. It's possible. We have to show the world how. And it starts with you. You good? Number four, this is what I hope, that God would pour out his gifts upon the Garden Church in a remarkable way. Over the next several weeks, I want to see, and we're going to teach on this stuff, a greater outpouring of gifts to the people. It's not about the same people. It's about all of us operating in the gifts. But prophecy and healing, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, tongues and interpretation, signs and wonders, that the gifts of the Spirit would be evident here, evident in house churches and everywhere we go. The other part of this is that the the Ephesians 4 gifts of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers— It's a separate thing. Those are person gifts from the church for leadership that they would be released from the garden church, that we would see apostles released to start new church planning movements and and ministries around the world. Prophets be released. Evangelists be released. Pastors and teachers released, that we would take that on and ask for that, that we can ask for more of God's gifts. Do you want more prophecy in your life? 
Do you want to see more healing? Do you want to develop a prayer language? There's, and we'll talk about tongues, but I think we need to, we need to be praying in our, our prayer language for those of us that have tongues as a gift. It's for everyone. And it needs to be used appropriately, but that's for your personal edification. That gift is only, it's the only gift for you. All the other gifts are for others. And it, it's, it's a strengthening of the inner, inner spirit. And when I can't pray, when I don't know what to pray, I pray in tongues. And I'm praying a lot more because I sense just God stirring something. I love Paul says, I pray in tongues more than anyone else. That's pretty arrogant. <laughs> he says that. It's in the Bible. Talk about like, yeah, I'm doing it more than all of you. Like, ah, really? I just want to see the hunger for more of God's activity released in his, his gifts. And the other thing is I want you to operate in your spiritual gifts, not just here in the church, not just in house churches or your everyday, um, in your homes, but in your everyday life, like for the world. Where, see, this is the power. This is where it becomes power evangelism. When you heal someone on the street and they're like, yeah, it doesn't hurt anymore. Well, that's, that's the power of Christ. When you have a word of knowledge for your coworker that you shouldn't know and it, it opens up their heart, how did you know this? And you're like, well, I didn't know, Jesus knew. Now let me tell you about him. See, the power of the gifts in the world, um, they, they, there's not a hang up like there is in the church. It's the church is like, oh, I don't believe God heals. You go out on the street and people get healed. They don't have the concept that God might not heal. They're like, what happened? You say, God healed you. Oh, cool. Then they come to church and they learn that God might not heal even though they already got healed. <laughs> we need to wake up because you saturated with the presence of God are to be released in your workplaces, at the parks, with your kids, on the playground, looking for opportunities to be that salt and light, but operate with power. So much of what we're doing is without the power and presence of God in our life. I want to see it released. Uh, and lastly, I, I just really want to see our city transformed. That even just through this series, we become awakened to our city, that healing would come and Jesus would be exalted in the city of Long Beach, like the stories of old, but far greater than ever before. We might see God move in power in our cities, in our nation, and there might be another awakening among us. A young lawyer, maybe you've heard of him, named Charles Finney, the outstanding evangelist of the early 19th century, spoke of this experience he had with God by the Holy Spirit that catapulted him into ministry. As he sat at his office desk at workplace, the Holy Spirit descended on him and this is a quote, as waves and waves of liquid love, he wrote. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. I don't know exactly what that experience was, but I want that. Do you? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.
twilight's a moon. 